hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Wig Talks Brilliant or Bust podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Object Matrix, Vinny Spine, and Zixi. I am Christy King. And I'm Nick Pierce. And we are here to share with you some predictions. We gathered together a group of people to talk about what they think is going to happen in 2021 in the media industry. Nobody saw 2020 coming, so getting predictions from people for what will happen next year um, <laughs> is, <laughs> well, it's anyone's game what they might say. Right, exactly. And the fun part was the way we did this is we sprung their predictions on everyone else and then each of the rest of the guests got to respond and say whether they thought each person's predictions was brilliant or bust. Definitely a couple of controversial ones on both halves of this episode of the podcast and definitely some safe predictions from (laughs) From you know who. Yeah, so we have uh, great stuff to talk about, so let's get to it. Super. Today we've got a couple of uh, interesting new folks. We have Sinead Greenaway. She's the Chief Technology and Operations Officer for UK TV. Hi, Sinead. Hi, everyone. And we also have Michael Davis. He's the SVP of Field and Tech Management Operations for Fox Sports. And um, also, I believe he is serving as the chair of the Sports Video Group right now. Good to see you. I got a chair right here. Nice to see you too. Okay, and then of course we have Steve Sharman. Hi, Steve. Hi, Christy. And uh, Ben Davenport of Viddy Spine. Hi, Christy. Eric Bolton of Zixi. Hi, Christy. And of course, Nick Pierce, Object Matrix. Hi, everyone. We are going to talk about predictions that you all have for what is going to happen in 2021 in the media industry. So let's see who our first victim is. And it will be Michael Davis. He says that in 2021, we'll see most, if not all, sports productions, big and small, use some form of distributed methods of producing their shows. So, Michael, do you want to explain some more about what this prediction is about? Well, it's actually not even going out on that much of a leg. And because my original uh, prediction of smell-o-vision was so widely panned, I had to go to my number two. Um, What we've seen in 2020 is just a rapid acceleration of distributed production. And, and, And there's really two chief ways this is achieved. Number one, take everything simply have you know camera and some microphones out at a uh, venue like we've been doing um you know certainly at the schools and in holland and everywhere else we put those all out and then send all that back to a um centralized hub uh oftentimes called remy or home run production or at home production you know that's been going on for a while but absolutely expanded by this point and then there's this sort of distributed production method where you slice off pieces of a show. So be it um, a few uh, EVSs or replay devices, perhaps an edit, maybe a specialty or a craft area that goes uh, off into even video engineering that goes off into a centralized place where the show is still potentially produced and directed from from site. So obviously all of this has been going on for years, but what um, 2020 has brought is such a rapid acceleration, not only in the technology, which has kind of been evolving in the background, but also in the facilities that are being built. And, you know, in a lot of ways, the United States is catching up to what Europe has been doing for some time, um, specifically NEP Holland or, or some of these other places where, you know, they're able to have these centralized hubs. I think that now 
in 2020 or 2021, you're going to see these little hubs or maybe even spokes, if you will, pop up around the country to accommodate this. And we're already seeing this in places like Los Angeles with Gravity Media or uh, Freedom Broadcast in Clifton, New Jersey, or what NEP is doing in, in Washington. And I think that without a doubt, every single show, you know, from the Super Bowl on down is going to have a an increasing component of distributed production. So that's basically it. And I'm sure that the that the gang is just kind of shaking their head, saying, man, that was an easy one. But there you go, guys. You didn't like my first idea. This is what you <laughs> Going safe. Very uh, safe. But how much of that do you think is really realistic in 2021? A hundred percent. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that way, Fred? Yeah, I, I think that 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 we're we're already on the runway. One of the things that we've been able to do with the with the pandemic is take a step back and relook at how we do everything in TV. There is especially sports TV. We're built on habit. We're built on the foundation of doing what we did last year, last season, maybe with little tweaks and whatever. And COVID was the first time I think in a long time, besides getting maybe a brand new property, where you were able to stop things midstream and go and rethink the entire thing and then come out with a completely new kind of thing. You know, certainly on the screen, it may well look exactly the same. In fact, it should do. In terms of the production, we were able to shed a lot of that habitual behavior in favor of some of these things that were coming out and that we did some things that we pushed some things out that weren't even ready. Those were things that, that, that we would not have done. And frankly, almost all of them performed very, very well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is sort of the confluence of the pandemic, of widespread connectivity, of IP technology, and some really, really smart people that have come up and met this challenge. But I think that for sure, next year, you're going to see every sports uh, show engage in some of this. Does it let you do kind of more sports for less money? Does it, um, do, does, does it increase the breadth of the sports that you're allowed to, um, to or that you're able to, to produce? What, what are the practical effects to, to, to sports broadcasters for this actually happening? Well, I, I think that it's kind of all of the above, but really there are you know three or four chief ones. So, And what we were aiming for first was to keep people off-site because of uh, COVID and jamming people in trucks. Obviously, a production truck, is somewhat of the antithesis of social distancing, right? So, you know, we had to, to figure that out. So that was the very first reason. The second reason, certainly you can save some money potentially by doing this mostly in things like travel costs and whatnot, um, maybe even, you know, shedding some trucks along the way. So uh, there is uh, that component. Um, third, there is a human component, and it's a good one. I mean, I like to say that, you know, we, we, we certainly talk a lot about technology and all these other things, but the people behind the technology that makes a good show good, you know, and I'm not talking about Dine and Dash programming. I'm talking about like the big programming that you put some stake about, you know, what your replays look like and that kind of thing. And that's driven by people. So with distributed production, you can and we have put some of this technology in people's homes. This spoke thing I spoke about is going to allow, hopefully, centers around places where you're able to achieve even more consistency. And maybe that operator that used to travel on uh, Friday and work Saturday and Sunday and then travel on Monday, now you can potentially use him or her to, to do a game on Friday 
and Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, it's kind of a win-win where, yes, the person doesn't need to get on the plane, but they also are making maybe a little bit more uh, in wages in terms of doing three shows instead of one in a weekend. So I think that 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 there's the consistency aspect as well that maybe we haven't achieved yet, but I think is coming. I have several friends who are TDs and other kinds of positions like that that do exactly what you're talking about. They travel to sports events in order to work them as graphics or whatever. Do you think that those folks should be looking at perhaps understanding and bringing some of their own equipment into their houses? It, it, it's a super good question. I get asked this all the time that, you know, do you have need to buy your own equipment? And the answer is no. The The only thing you really need at your house is a very good, reliable internet connection. And, you know, if you are in a, say, a household with five people and you may well have, you know, maybe children who are uh, learning, you know, remotely or playing video games, you know, you may want to think about getting a dedicated uh, internet service. However, the things like, you know, you're talking about a TD and those types of things, no, they don't need to buy their own equipment. However, I don't think that it's going to work for everybody. I think that in general, we prefer to to bring people into a centralized facility of some kind. And it might be a very small facility. And frankly, now all you need is four walls, a roof, an internet connection, some tables to, to pop some equipment on. Because what you're doing is that the things that are going into these facilities or into people's homes are just the, you know, the, 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 the keyboard video and mouse of whatever you're doing in a TDs uh, in a TDs situation, you know, you'd, you'd put the panel in and we have. So, I mean, just a little bit of a sidebar, like for the panel in Pico in our studio can then connect to any of our trucks in time. We're going to get very comfortable with people switching off site, but I don't think that kind of thing is going to be at their houses. I think that's going to be in a facility. So nobody has to worry about buying uh, an, an, an EVS controller or, or whatnot. I believe those will be provided by the, um, by the network. But then again, we're, we're just working this out now. Do you feel like it's got like production is now radically changed for sports period that end in 2021 because of COVID or is it more like half the stuff is going to be remote and, you know, you still need the other half of the people on site. Well, no, I, I think you'll definitely need some, I mean, without doubt, you always need people on site for the capture part. And, you know, what we find, especially with large shows is that having a, having a contingent of people that's actually on site does help. The COVID has essentially cut out two years of evolution. I think in 2021, we are at, we're, we would have been in 2023 if we didn't have the the virus. Mm-hmm. So it's basically cut out two years. We ended up not not necessarily inventing something. We just accelerated it. And again, the other trick is people aren't just a commodity. I mean, you know, we have to find the right people as well. So that is going to dictate sort of where this stuff happens. So that's kind of where we are now. How do we still include those people as well? I think there's a I think there's an interesting potential impact there where you've got um, talent maybe in the UK that broadcasters have used and used because they're local and they, they're trusted and they're good, all of a sudden being poached by a, a global player because they no longer have to yeah. be local, right? And so it, it could have an interesting impact on the sort of the talent market as to where they can operate and, and the things that they do now that they've got this it's wide a, market. It's a really good point. I never even thought about that. But, you know, when we did um, when we did baseball, it was very common to have uh, an analyst in Chicago uh, and a play-by-play in uh, in Tampa calling a game in St. Louis, right? So at that point, 
Yeah, you're right because they are they're local, and especially with uh, sports like soccer, where you know you don't oftentimes see these presenters on camera anyway. That you know they can then be poached for all the same reasons I spoke to about Steve. That you know now potentially these people can do you know five games a week. Who cares? I mean, you know, and and now as we are in the college basketball season where, you know, we have, you know, three, four, 10 games a week, 10, 10 games a day that, you know, we are reusing talent that way. What do you think the uh, impact might be on the Olympics? I mean, that's one of the, the biggest sporting events that hopefully will happen in 21. The opportunities for that are, are sort of event are huge, surely, in, in terms of making the IBC smaller. and Without a doubt, Ben, and I think, I think shows like the Olympics and the World Cup are definitely the drivers for this. I mean, you know, we did our first sort of distributed production um, with uh, EVS and graphics. We did those back home for the Women's World Cup in, in very much a very similar way that we're doing everything else. But I think that the Olympics, you know, if you use my my two to three year marker, you know, where they are going to be for Japan will basically be, will probably be where they plan to be for an Olympics four years hence, right? So so I, I think that the Olympics has always been a huge pioneer in doing this. They've been doing this, as you said, you know, for, for three Olympics now, maybe four. Um, so I think that it's only going to get more and more because every person, every job that you can find that can be done domestically versus Shenzhou Japan now saves you tens of thousands of dollars. And obviously, Zixi do a lot of work with our good friends at NBC and this is Mike points out the Olympics major driver, you can get a lot more production and creation out of the different teams, the global teams. We're even seeing the NHL do sort of away game radio guys off 4K in the cloud and stuff like that. But the construct that sports as a production operational model and news as a production operational model are that different is uh, I saw that collapse in a couple different large networks where sports people were joining news teams because they were understaffed and, and somewhat vice versa. So I would say that even in additionally, you're going to see a lot more cross-pollinization within organizations. And I would even suggest between organizations to use capacity. Huh. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go one further and, and, and say that I, I think you're absolutely right. I think we're going to see a more reliance on packagers. I think that networks like ours are going to rely increasingly on packagers and hinge on to this type of technology for exactly that reason, Eric. Maybe the network's not leveraging these people doing cross-pollinization, but the packagers that these networks are hiring are. 2021 will initiate a golden era of package productions and third-party outsourced productions, mm. at least in this country, for sure. And um, that's something that's definitely come out of favor. But I think that this technology enables um, those types of people to do things even more effectively than the networks, frankly, especially for small shows. Let's vote on this uh, super controversial topic. <laughs> so 2021, we'll see most, if not all, sports productions, big and small, use some form of distributed methods for producing their shows. Brilliant or bust? What's the vote? Eric? Yeah. <coughs> Brilliant. 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 All right, here's the next one. We have Steve claiming that Brexit will be great for UK content owners in 2021. It will open new markets and result in opportunity for UK-based creatives as more is invested in local talent and production. Yeah, I just see this smug look on his face. So he's (laughs) being read out. (laughs) 
this, 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 sorry, this is not smoke. <laughs> so, do, so, have you have you ever sort of regretted lobbying a comedy hand grenade question out of three? <laughs> politics aside, because I, I don't want to talk about the politics because everybody's really bored with that. Um, I feel basically optimistic about the um, about the future, um, almost regardless of what happens. And I think you know that the, the, the this year has taught us that uh, a lot about being being sort of um, on the downer. Um, I think you know we're starting to slide back out of it now, and um, and thank heavens. And I think that I think that there's a lot of good stuff to to, to come. I think one of the slightly cynical things I, that um, that I heard um, a couple of years ago, you know, just after the vote had been announced, was um, it was an animation forum, and um, and people were saying, oh, this is you know this is kind of terrible because it means we're not going to have access to um, cheap animators. And I just think that's that it's kind of a wrong way to look at it. I think I think you know we're, we're still going to have access to to, to great people. Um, I think we got more of an opportunity to develop some of our own talent a bit more uh, because you know as, as a country we need to get some more stuff out there so um i'm just really interested in what people think so i'll, I'll stick my hand up on this one i think um <clears throat> yeah politics aside i think that the pandemic more than brexit has made us realize that we need to create and do and produce more and manufacture more locally yeah. right, and, and, and rely less on anyone let alone europe quite happily state I am a, a, a Ramona. Um, I will Ramon as long as I can. But I think it has made us realise that we do need to produce more in the UK across the board, not just in creative. From our side of the business, one of the reasons that we started exporting to Latin America and the US was so that we didn't get caught in a region that if it got a cold, it would take object matrix down. And I think that's why you need global markets anyway. And certainly we've put a huge focus on the US and Latin America the last couple of years and South Africa, interestingly, mm. um, largely because of language as well, right? I mean, um, yeah. certainly in the US and South Africa, the, the, the language is a lot easier to do business there. And since the, that vote, we have seen some RFPs um, coming out of France that have been, you know, be wary of Brexit, which has sort of precluded us from playing in a way, almost putting us out. So I don't think that Brexit has given us those opportunities. I think the pandemic has more given us that insight into we need to generate more and we need to be able to stand on our own two feet locally, but also sell to a wider market such that we're not relying on one big one big block, if you like. Replace Brexit with pandemic on that, and I'd mm. agree with it. What do you think about like live production? You know, it seems it seems to make sense that for some of those content producers, Steve, that now maybe made their living elsewhere in the uh, European Union, you know, that would take, you know, daily hops to France or Amsterdam or whatever to do shows. Is the dark side of this the fact that some of these people that relied for on work outside the uh, UK that now that'll dry up and they'll be more focused on and there'll be more, hence more competition for domestically based events. I've certainly read some stuff literally in the past couple of days talking about potential requirements, replaceable visas and, and the cost of those and so on, which will make it a lot more difficult for folks just hop across to, to different areas. How much of that kind of um, hopping around actually um, actually happens? I think one of the big problems around the whole thing is that we just don't know yet. I, I think you said it. I, I think that it's complete, <clears throat> completely unknown. I mean, I know that companies like NEP obviously quite are quite worried because you know they're so distributed that you know that that, that they may have trouble. Or does it become a complete? cluster what happens if for example those guys can do their jobs but they don't have to physically travel into um, into europe Certainly. does our change in technology actually kind of obviate some of the problems that we might have with physical movement of people yeah good yeah very good point steve i think so i'm gonna um call an early bust on this one 
<laughs> there, we uh, there you go. I can get and, comfortable. And uh, and 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 it goes along the lines of what Nick said: is that I don't think it's anything to do with Brexit. Arguably, probably not anything to do with COVID. Um, the 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 industry, the creative industry in the UK, was in on an incredible course in 2019 and largely is maintaining that trajectory despite Brexit and despite COVID. And, and if you look at the studios that are opening up, the programs that are being created here, the way that we are having outreach, we've got loads of programs into different schools and education and all the rest of it. And I think mm. we were on such a good trajectory that of course that opportunity will grow. And, and of course, investment in local talent and production will, will continue. The question, if you want it to be political, was would it be better or worse as a result of Brexit? But I guess that's a reframing of the question. But I, I think we were on an ace trajectory beforehand. We still are. Yeah, me being optimistic for once doesn't happen often. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, we were in a great place and I think we still are. And um, yeah, go Britain. <laughs> okay i suppose i ought to speak as a uk uh broadcaster that would probably be a good place to start as part of a yes. global studios network maybe maybe something to say you know we we are doing great we are at the highest level of consumption that we've been since 2012 so so you know brexit or no brexit and covid or no covid actually we've been on a very positive trajectory i think actually funnily enough what what's come back and and listening to michael's points even about sports broadcasting we've got confidence you know there's a bit of swagger in the market now and actually yeah. i think i think what you're seeing in a lot of british broadcasters is our confidence in production we are making shows that travel um and and that's really really important and certainly being part of bbc studios you know we've knocked it out of the park in terms of some of that content but actually even thinking about things like you know if you look at it at the tech end of life we've got a bit of confidence about how we do things as well yeah. so so it feels like that confidence is the thing that's come and actually the the positives of covid are are probably around us being prepared to trial and play and, and do things. And actually, you know, we, we often talk about those sort of lazy management things about, you know, being prepared to fail. Actually, when there's a bit of forgiveness around, you're, you're a bit braver about what you do and yeah. you also learn stuff. And I think what this year has taught us is that brilliant content still stands the test of time. You know, that telly is an incredibly important part of our life, however you are consuming it. Uh, certainly from a UK TV point of view, you know, we make and we, we show the best of BBC content people love both you know in yeah. in times when you need comfort actually a certain type of content has been there for folk um and yes obviously delighted to see sports back on but by god we've consumed a lot of sitcoms and dramas over the last <laughs> few months um so I think there's a bit of confidence around. Um, and that's the thing I think that that I'll hold on to. I don't know whether that makes that statement brilliant or bust, but um, it, it, it certainly feels good from, a, from a, a broadcaster point of view. So many bad things have come out this year. If there's good stuff to take from this year, it shoved us forward a couple of years, however bumpy it's been. And um, I, don't, I don't think we're going back. Eric said it on the first um, episode that in, in good times TV does well and in bad times TV does well. I think what this period has shown us is that we should take confidence in our ability to deliver TV, even in the worst of times, but I'm still going to go bust on Steve. To <laughs> I'm not sure it's a Brexit thing. I don't know what Brexit means in terms of what restrictions were pre or post. Um, I think the pandemic and technology happened to intersect and UK is, is stacked with talent and talent is now more accessible and markets will respond. 
Steve contends that Brexit will be a great for UK content owners in 2021. It will open new markets and result in opportunity for UK-based creatives as more is invested in local talent or production. So with caveats, as I'm sure you all have, <laughs> is this brilliant or bust? Uh, Nick? It's a, it's, a, it's a big bust with a caveat that it's also completely irrelevant. <laughs> Sinead? I genuinely don't know how to answer this. <laughs> you, have, you have two options, I'm afraid. But 2021 will be great for UK content owners. There you go. That's I've just rewritten it. Is that okay? Thanks, boss. <laughs> Steve, you're not going to vote on your own thing, are you? Or are you? Oh, I'm going for, I'm going for a bust on this. <laughs> <laughs> Bust and I think bust and irrelevant. I think the, the the whole point on this one is that Sinead Nick, right? It's um, it, it Brexit's irrelevant, COVID's irrelevant. We've we've got a great place to build from. All right, Michael. Uh, I'm going to do a line item veto and basically say that, like uh, Sinead said, you know, 2021 will be great for UK content owners. Steve, <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, we'll just need to redo your slide. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Eric. Uh, it, everyone's caveating and changing the question, but as the question, as as the point stands, I'm going to put bust out there. But I think oh, that make it goes. Yeah. Ben, oh, no, I already called it bust. Yeah. <laughs> You're sticking with your bust. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, here's the next one. Business buyers will increasingly engage vendors on how they do business as much as what they offer. Having an inclusive workplace and a commitment to sustainability will start to feature more heavily in buying decisions. So Sinead. It's a big one, isn't it? Some some of this is informed by the by the recent period and some of this is just a trajectory and a bit of hope actually. But uh, I find myself increasingly in conversations about the types of, of, of folk that we want to do business with. It's not quite hit the procurement uh, level yet, although sustainability is definitely being asked more and more frequently. But I think following the year we've had, particularly uh, the events surrounding George Floyd and the fact that diversity and inclusion rightly in my opinion are now top of almost every business agenda my prediction is that over time um, these sorts of things will feature in buying decisions and the sorts of people that you do business with and I guess that's informed by it being the right thing um, but also I think you know, we want to care about the things that our viewers care about. We also want to care about the things that our staff care about. And I think if we are to build successful businesses going forward, these are the sorts of matters that actually will affect, you know, decisions about folk joining our businesses and our future success. So, you know, there's a bit of me possibly being slightly aspirational about it. There's also bit of me being really practical about it you know in a, in a work sense we have we are all working on um, proper targeted commitments to inclusion and diversity we are also you know we're part of Albert from a sustainability point of view we are offsetting a, as a business and have a commitment to carbon neutrality you know these are the sorts of topics that I do think are featuring for all of us so I was just interested to see what everybody else thought I guess my initial response when I read this was the the speed factor I mean, we were really talking, I was thinking very specifically about what was realistic in 2021. In my head, I was thinking there's been all these setbacks and all this drama because of COVID. 
or maybe that's just a lead over from our own political drama over here. I don't know. <laughs> Lots of drama this year. And I was I was feeling a little less optimistic about the amount of change that could happen in our industry. But even in these first two questions, you guys are all really saying that actually, no, a lot has changed already and it's only going to accelerate. I'm, I'm struggling with how much of that can really happen in 2021. It's about the emergence of an increasing because people buy from people. And the reason we've had to travel and go meet people is so that they can trust us and who we are. And then if they want to do business as well, they'll find out more about our company and, and what our ethos is and how we treat people. You know, I certainly that's how we've built relationships with the customers we have or the partners we have. And I think that this is then just making almost formalizing that relationship and saying, look, guys, what is your policy on diversity? What is your policy on uh, sustainability? Almost should become part of an RFP process. And if you don't have it, you get scored against it, right? We'll see more of that happening because we, we touched a little bit on this on the last podcast about responsibility of vendors for the stuff they put out and, and the part in the community they play. And I think it's a super important thing that to make sure that we do have that equality of diversity. And it's quite hard from a, a, an object storage company who runs on disk to talk about sustainability too much. But um, <laughs> we do certainly so. have um, sust- you know, sustainable um, policies and elements to what we do. But ultimately, it's about can you trust the person you're buying from and the team you're buying from? And that is very much a relationship piece. That has to be backed up by the business. I mean, I, I remember sort of filling in responses to uh, RFPs you know, to 10, 15 years ago. And actually, the, the sort of things like um, the blend of kind of diversity and the culture was being asked about even then. I wonder if, if actually we've just got to the stage of evolution where it's um, stopped being box ticking and it's, and it's become something that actually matters to people. At the same time, the CO2 outputs from data centers um, or the energy to, to kind of power data centers, global networks and so on is, 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 is getting up there. On the one hand, we're kind of talking about a lot of the, the, the brilliant advancements that we've made this year. Um, on the other hand, those things have a cost to them. And I think the part of the problem that we have is that there are kind of invisible costs because you, you kind of don't, t- you tend to think about what you're, you know, how much energy you're burning in your building. You don't tend to think about, um, you know, how much energy we're burning by having, you know, BT's um, a DSL network um, sitting powered up it's only being utilized at a certain percentage how much progress kind of gets made in this next year i guess depends on all of us really a lot of our business is renting and um you know engaging services and things like that and i think Sinead, that's that's even more of a factoring in a heck of a lot more into our decisions and making its way and to your point steve is is that i think it is more than 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 ticking boxes certainly in the mm-hmm. organization that i'm a part of the svg you know we are helping with that. And I feel like this diversity initiatives have always sort of been there, you know, at least for the last 10 years. But I think now um, they're actually starting to get some attention, but moreover, some funding and some money and, yeah. and, and um, you know, actually thinking about, you know, can we do anything besides just giving lip service to it? And if, if that's important to us, then, you know, we're going to have to spend some money on it. And as a as a purchaser, as a client, it's my responsibility to make sure that we're keeping those companies to task and making sure that they know that it's an important thing for us in a way that we gauge our decisions. But I do see that happening. There's also a halo effect. There's one end you should do it because it's the right thing to do at the other. Actually, there's some competitive advantage in being in that space. You stand out, you know, if you're doing the right things. Um, so, so either which end of that spectrum 
it's a good thing, surely. But we do ask, we definitely ask for company values. You know, we actually upended our RFP. So they open with company values and rather than getting into the sort of widget gadget end of life, um, because that's really important, you know, that we work with people that, that we feel share some of those beliefs. Of course, it's not absolute science. We can't do it on everything, but at least the intent is there. And I think it really makes us stop and think about the people we do business with and how they do business. But also, you know, if I'm going to stand up as a business and make a commitment to things, I need my partners to come with me. I can't do it on my own. I'm a massive buyer. So so it's really important to me that every part of my ecosystem is in sync with that stuff. That's a really important point, isn't it? And uh, by the way, it's, it's a really great question and one that, that's been uh, kind of floating around my mind this year. Um, Bertelsmann started the year by uh, making a green pledge to be climate neutral by 2030, I think. And the interesting thing in that is in our roadmap to that, that because of the pandemic, and everybody moving to home working. Um, we didn't have company vehicles going through the less travel or the rest of it. Of course, a, a massive head start. But I think one of the interesting things for me as well is the impact that the remote working and things has had on diversity this year. For me personally, and I'm white, middle, middle class, privileged and all the rest of it, but it's been amazing for me because normally um, I have to travel to be with my colleagues and I'm normally, you know, remote, not part of the team or whatever on a day-to-day basis. And having everybody working from home has been an incredible leveler. And it has been for other people in the other organization, in the organization who are working part-time or remotely or working different hours for whatever reason, the other things. So it's been a great year for inclusiveness in that point of view. But at the same time, I think it's been for a really tough year for people who um, don't have fast broadband connections at home, you know, live in places where they can't get credit connectivity or, or, or whatever. And um, it's been quite interesting to see where, where that's had a positive effect and where, where less so. Well, as a vendor, this has been on the radar screen for 15, 20 years, for sure, in different ways, diversity of a lot of fronts um, and sustainability. It's going to just continue on a curve. I think you've got generational shifts that accelerate this. I think the access to global talent through virtual ways and means as we're discussing kind of opens and changes things. But I would say that in our little software company of Zixi, there's an organic diversity and that diversity is a competitive advantage and makes you a higher performing organization. And so that's good business. Does it give you a halo effect? Great. Does it give you marketing abilities? Does it show that the company is intelligent and making good decisions? You hope so. And that you're open to thinking about that. And then on the sustainability part, there is a, you know, a lot of moral things that one could get into. It's really just good business. So when we take our software and optimize how to get a 90% reduction in a CPU in a data center, yes, we're going to save power, but we also just saved our client 90% on that bill. And as we, you can either increase the capacity on the same thing by 10x or reduce it by 90. And everyone's going to compete on that. And the more and more you can reduce bills, the more and more you reduce, you know, taxing power grids. So I, I just think that all of those things come together. Um, and they're, they're smart business, but they're business that, you know, as Sinead points out, if buyers say do something, we the, we the vendors will respond. But we the vendors in, in tech companies in general, I think long ago have, have learned that both being diverse and being, quote, green are uh, commercially beneficial to the company. Well, and, and, and it's got to it's gotta accelerate, especially on the green front, because if anything has taken a backseat during this pandemic time, it's been being environmentally conscious. And, you know, I've only to look at my my trash bin full of takeout containers to, to see that. But 
I think that after vaccines proliferate, I think that a, a huge press needs to be put back on the on the environmental impact of uh, what we do as a business, because I think that that's definitely been pushed out of the priority matrix. While I believe that the diversity has certainly been there and probably accelerating, I feel like the environmental people caring about the environmental aspect has gone down commensurately. In my career, I've worked in everything from documentaries to sports to news and everything in between. I'm still very much one of the few women in the room. Me and Sinead are hanging out in the corner. <laughs> and that's, we're kind of it, usually a lot of these things. And the environmental thing for most of the work that I do is not brought up ever at all. I really struggled with this one because I like to think that these things are moving and I and I guess I see some of what you guys see, but the very first question that's always asked and always discussed, cost. What does it cost is always the ultimate decision about whether or not something gets done. It's it the decision is never predicated on you know, that, hey, if we spend a little bit more, they could have some more diversity here. If you spend a little bit more, we could use a little less power. You know, I'm oversimplifying, but comes down to cost. And I'm always being asked to reduce costs as, as a vendor to provide something, always being asked to reduce the cost. Mm. So I think I'm I'm still not feeling super optimistic about this and, and seeing a lot of change in 2021. There's still a lot of people that are barely making any sort of margin at all. And they're trying to hang on to their people, regardless of who they are, what color they are, what sex they are. Economics is still the major, major, major driver. I don't see diversity decisions or environmental decisions overruling the almighty dollar yet. I just don't see it. Doesn't a lot of it come back to um, doing the right thing is therefore the right economic decision? In the UK, I mean, Sky has been um, quite heavily ahead of, uh, of most of the of most of the broadcasters on the environmental front for they've had commitments for over, um, for, for many many years. Um, but again, a lot of the um, a lot of it's, it's like Eric said, a lot of the kind of the doing the right thing just comes from um, from from good business because you know if you if you design your kit to um, to switch itself off whilst it's not being used it lasts longer therefore fewer truck rolls and da 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 Sinead, I mean is this becoming more prominent in your business decision making yeah increasingly and that's why I use the word increasingly well picked up Nick yeah. um increasingly yeah I'm not saying it's it's you know it it's woven through everything at the depth of every single RA, RFP and buying decision but it's a consideration now and I'm absolutely with Eric on it's good business you know it's mm. very good business therefore it should be a positive positive um and actually you know things things like sustainability this year I sort of hear your point Michael about some things going backwards actually I've had some brilliant stories in market about people saying you know we're not sending out 100 OB trucks and and that's that's half the footprint so there's there's a pause for thought to actually say if we keep some of this stuff um yeah your point's well made Steve about measurement and there's a lot more transparency needed um you know particularly with some of the global vendors we really need to get to grips with that but everyone feels committed. I can't think of a big business I know that isn't committed to this. Hmm. Maybe one thing to point, just to maybe finish this off, is that I think we're talking about the type of commercial engagement, right? If it's an RFP, it's very easy to put, must have these credentials, that, 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 and that, right? When it's a more tactical purchase, which is the majority of purchases that happen in our industry, it's far easier to forget those things. Those things get lost in the wash, and it does come down to price quite often. 
you know, if you've got four vendors offering roughly the same thing, it will come down to price and not inclusion, not sustainability. It isn't just about the big tier of business of big broadcasters. There's a whole myriad of business underneath that tier where RFPs aren't involved and sustainability and diversity policies are not taken into account. The broadcasters and the bigger technology vendors have to lead and show an example for the rest of the market to follow. But it's that rest of the market that Christy is talking about and engaging in that this really doesn't feature today. And I think that's what we have to remember is that, yes, it has to start at the top and filter down. um, But that's where this I see it more as an increasing engagement rather than we will see something dramatic next year. Okay. Business buyers will increasingly engage vendors on how they do business as much as what they offer. Having an inclusive workplace and a commitment to sustainability will start to feature more heavily in decisions. Is this a brilliant or a bust? Nick? Brilliant. Steve? Brilliant. Michael? Brilliant. Eric? Brilliant. Ben? Brilliant. Oh, Sinead, you have a cool unanimous brilliant. Wow, go you. Here's hoping. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That was pretty interesting. I was actually kind of surprised by a couple of responses to to some of these predictions. Yeah, I think uh, Sinead's point is absolutely bang on. We've we've sort of given too much lip service, I think, to uh, equality, diversity, and, and sustainability. But you know, as discussed, I think there are tiers of companies that can afford to demand those things are, are respected in RFPs. And then there's a whole market that probably trying its best to live by those values. But, you know, it hasn't been a hard requirement. Mr. Mr. Davis, I think I'd like to hear his smelly vision prediction next time. <laughs> <laughs> because he stayed safe, but it was really super interesting still. Yeah, well, I worked in sports for a long time and I actually was kind of ready to argue with him. You know, it seems like a fairly safe prediction given COVID and given the world we're in right now, but he's right. Josh Steinauer did another great speech on his predictions for what's coming up next year. And he threw up this slide that absolutely made me laugh out loud where he showed a guy, a little stick figure pushing a rock up the hill and talked about how the hardest part is not the technology solutions. It's getting people to be willing to change their habits, <laughs> getting people willing to change the way they've done things and the UIs that they love so much. And I think that's really what Michael's prediction is getting at. It's yeah. we have to do better at being willing to be open-minded and change the way we do things in order to become more efficient and get to some of those sustainability and diversity things that Sinead is talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And then Mr. Sharman um, with his uh, fantastic prediction that I think was deemed irrelevant in the end. But I think what came out of it for me was resoundingly that the UK has enough talent in the creative side and creative technology to be successful regardless of pandemics or the B word. Agreed. I I really like that we all sort of seem to agree with the word confidence that regardless of what country we're talking about, believe in what you can do and act accordingly. Indeed. Here ended the lesson. Yes. So on to part two of uh, this episode where we hear the rest of the panel's predictions. Thank you very much to everyone who joined us today. Uh, We really appreciate your time and your thoughts. We'd love to continue the conversation with our listeners on the WIG LinkedIn group. So if you're not a member, go over and sign up. It'd be great to get your feedback, comments, and questions from anything we've discussed today or any suggestions for future podcast series. So yeah, please do get in touch. Great. Thanks, Nick. And we'll see you next time. Good about. Today's WIG Talks 
Brilliant or Bust podcast was sponsored by Vidispine, cloud-based media workflow solutions to maximize your media potential. Zixi, the global leader in broadcast quality live video over IP. Object Matrix, the cloud storage people who provide platforms that enable creative and production teams with self-serve access to media content on-premise or remotely from anywhere. Today's contributors were Hawthorne Innovation, helping bring the power of modern artificial intelligence and the cloud to bear on story production, content supply chains, and media systems integration. And Christy King, LLC, a media technology consultancy and content creator.